This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, let me introduce the panel though tonight. First up, uh, and I'm not going to do ladies first today. I'm going to do the opposite for a particular reason. Uh, first up, a guy who we love having here, best hair in Hamilton, best hair in Hamilton radio, Mike Fortune from Cable 14, sir. Thanks for coming in again. I made it just in the nick of time. Yeah. Hey, do we know anything on council about how they can fix the roads around here in traffic? <laughs> yes. be topic number one, fewer bike lanes. Like it. Or, or get a bike. Well, maybe get a bike. Well, you know what? I'm not sure that coming wheeling down the 403 on a bike is uh, going to solve a whole lot of problems. Invest in a hot air balloon. A hot, yeah, that would be good. I still, I, you know, Jason Farr, Councillor Farr, several months, maybe a year ago, threw out an idea that was supposed to be a lark. I'm telling you, I like it. It's the... Um, the incline. Yeah, but the incline. But the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the elevated... Um, mm, cable cars? Cable cars. Cable cars. I'm look. It, it was supposed to be a joke, I think, when he first said it, or at least it wasn't being taken very seriously. I like that idea, but anyway, we'll get to that. Maybe we'll see. Well, we had them. We did have them, and Back then we the took day. them away. Or, or we study Walt Disney World, and we get a monorail that goes all around the city, yeah. an elevated monorail that people Beautiful. can take that's out of the way. Uh, next to Mike, a woman who is here has been here many times, and this will be for the next little while. Her swan song, because tomorrow she has a nomination meeting, and if things go right, are you the only candidate? So far, I'm the only one that well, thought this was a, a good thing to do. Well, so so if things <laughs> go right, I, I I mean, this would be a horrible thing if you were a, uh, the only candidate and still didn't get chosen. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a rough day. But if things go right, Sandy Shaw uh, will be the NDP candidate for Hamilton West, Hamilton Caster Dundas, which is Ted McMeekin's riding. No, and, yeah, it was. Well, well it, in that he is in that you'll be running against I'll him. I'll be running against Ted. Yes. And so, generally, as a rule, just so when you understand why Sandy Shaw by the way, uh, why this would be her last time on here for a while, at least on the panel, is that when someone is running for office, it is, I generally think it's unfair for one person to get that kind of platform, and Sandy agrees. So um, if you don't win, and you know, you're welcome back. If you do win, and 30 years from now when you retire with your <laughs> gold-plated pension, you're welcome to buy the station okay, and come back. That's perfect. And that will be my nice uh, consolation prize if I if I am not the new MPP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas. The door be, is open. I'll be back here with you and Mike on a Friday night. The perfect. door is always open. Uh, let us begin today with, um, cause we got so many things I want to get to. And Mike, you know, it's funny you talk about, cause Mike was actually <laughs> stuck in traffic trying to get here and pulled in right at the last minute. It's happened to all of us. Mm-hmm. I've had it a few times where I've had to call down to whoever's behind the glass saying, yep. can you, can we do it from my car <laughs> <laughs> to start with? Cause I'm, I'm stuck. There is, uh, there was a story today that there is a very high level, and I don't quite understand why this is the case. Uh, And it doesn't seem like the people running the city really do either, but HSR drivers are not showing up. There's a high, high, high level of absenteeism with the HSR right now. Um, 18% have been calling in, apparently, according to Dan McKinnon, public works head, uh, I've been calling in sick or otherwise unable to work. Eighteen percent in October. Mm-hmm. Big number. It's a huge number, and I, there's two things with this that really strike me, Mike. One is, 
I, I I suppose that they are protected by their union, which, uh, you know, that's fine. If, if people are sick, maybe there is a flu epidemic sweeping through HSR, so we're not going to second-guess that. But if it's not, if it's highly unusual and we're not in flu season yet, mm-hmm. this is the same union, is it not, that wants to run the LRT? Is this I not... I believe you are correct. Is this not a crystal clear demonstration to everybody involved that perhaps the people in the province and elsewhere are going to say, mm, I don't think so. Um, I would tow along that line by all means. Uh, put me in that pool. But I said this on City Matters. I don't think the HSR should be handling this right from the get-go. Um, they don't build it. They shouldn't run it. They've been in operation now for over 100 years. There's uh, another deficit yet again, year after year after year. Um, I don't. We don't know all the particulars in regards to this 18% who are calling in. Is it flu? Is it cold? Is it something more serious? Is it is it uh, maybe mental health issues? I know we're constantly talking about that. Or does it even go above? Does it is it because of how how poorly the leadership is in there? And you know what? I'm not coming in to to help you. You're not helping me. Well, the, in the spec today, uh, Eric Tuck, the president of ATU Local 107. It says this. It says he's confirmed more drivers are calling in sick or are taking stress leave. So yeah. whatever the circumstance is that's causing all these drivers to have this amount of stress leave, Sandy, again, wh- whatever the cause is, I, I really don't think that necessarily they are helping their case to be mm-hmm. saying, I we now want to, the same problems, because why would the same problems here not happen with the LRT? Well, there's a number of pieces to this. Uh, to begin with, the, um, the the drivers that are a part of the ATU are talking about keeping public transit public. So this is not just a thing in Hamilton. This is about the province who seem to be selling off of our, our public assets, including Hydro One. So their fight is not just about the LRT in Hamilton, keeping that in public hands. It's about what's going on across the province while, while we're selling that off. Um, but it needs to be made clear that the uh, the the transit drivers don't manage the system. That is actually our city council. That's true. That's true. And and so yeah. No, but if if so, I'm okay with the idea. I'm I'm willing to listen to that. Let's keep public mm-hmm. transit public. Let's have. But you can't. I don't think you can make this argument and then by your actions show. Yeah, but we're not going to be able to do this in a good way. Right. That's what that's what that's the message I think that's being sent here. It, it it's is. a cautionary tale to say if you choose the HSR to do this, what are you getting yourself into? So if I could do a, a parallel example. And so I think maybe Mike's point was that it's not about the drivers themselves, it's perhaps the management and how they're deployed. And it, this is not an easy job. If any of us have been on the bus, you know what pressure they're under. They're, they're, it's a public serving, organ, you know, facing. They have to drive the bus. They have to keep people safe. They have to deal with all kinds of you know, all kinds of people, and a lot of times if the bus is late or the bus is early, which may or may not be anything to do with the driver's fault, they have to deal with that. So it really is a high-stress job. We all have high-stress jobs. It, you, Sorry. My, my, <laughs> we do. My. And yeah. so if you, if you um, compare that to what happens with the school buses, for example, so right now both school buses are facing incredible shortages of people uh, that w- are willing to uh, be bus drivers. And that's all for all the same reasons. It's a lot of responsibility, and they're not, you know, they actually 
actually don't pay them even a living wage, and so they're having a hard time finding a driver. So I just think it speaks to the fact that this is a more difficult job than any of us, I think, would be prepared to take on. And again, I'll say, you know, again, from the story, uh, Eric Tuck again says, and here's a quote, this is the result of poor working conditions. People are getting burned out. Morale is low. People are frustrated. Uh, And he suggests a majority of veteran drivers are working 50 and 60 hours a week already. So to your point, Sandy, yes, it is a high stress job. And Mike, yes, we all have high stress jobs. I get all that. But I don't see when the LRT comes on board, the likelihood, Mike, that the city is going to suddenly hire 200 new people to lower the stress on them to make the work. You're going to have to work within this. And if we can't make it work with this, why is it suddenly going to work when we add a few more people and try and add a whole new thing? To me, it just seems like this is screaming, we're not going to be able to do this regardless of what we say. That's what they're saying here. Leadership trickles down. Culture change is definitely required to to move on. And if that doesn't happen, and I, I'm fairly certain Metrolinx is watching this fairly closely from a distance, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, and they're saying, wait a second, it doesn't make sense for this this operation to be running a billion-dollar light rail transit, rapid transit, uh, in the city of Hamilton. So... It starts with leadership. We've heard the word culture thrown around left, right, and center. Nothing seems to be being done by it. And I don't buy for a second that their job is any more stressful than a police officer's, a EMS, a, param- a fire, um, a, a stockbroker. We all have stresses in our life. But if you have the right leadership at the top, if you have the right tools in place to help with certain things, then and you create that positive environment, then people will want to come to work. Do you, I mean, Sandy, well, do you, go you ahead. Know, there's some, I, I will agree with some of what you're talking about, but I think that we really need to look at the particulars if, if we privatize this. So when you privatize it, and this, they're looking to extract profit out of this system, which, by the way, I don't understand. If, it's, if, if our public transit is profitable in private hands... Why can't we make it profitable it's a for great the public? Question. Because of poor leadership. And so we should I, be making money on it. No, yeah. but it's a it's a rhetorical question. But you're absolutely right. If it can be made profitable, why can it not be made profitable in general? I think that's a great question that isn't getting answered. But it isn't getting answered, and then I think so. That speaks to our provincial leaders, if I can, may say, that are not <laughs> giving giving those uh, th- those answers. I just really don't think they know. I don't think they've thought this through. I think that the reason that we're not getting answers, I mean, in my understanding, and I, I watched this very closely to the LRT debate, it was, you know, we're just trying to get to the environmental assessment. Those questions will be answered later. Those questions are put to, to the LRT execs. Wh- who will be operating this? And will it be a profit-driven company? And what will the fares be? Some very basic questions and they were told listen those t- that time will come we will get you those answers and in we're the meantime still yes in the meantime just to prove the environmental assessment and once that was done it's almost like they bought the farm they're saying oh well now you want to ask those questions so the time never did come as was promised when those questions would be answered and that still is the provincial government that should be held account for not providing those answers when they were promised to us. The thing about this, though, and this is not the first time we've seen something like this happen. We know that, for example, there have been times when teachers have had high levels of being off and substitute teachers have to be called in and things like that. I don't recall, and maybe we just haven't heard about it, but I don't recall this situation happening 
to my memory anyway, with a private sector union or with a private industry. They, it always seems to be a public sector union that has these issues, the high stress that requires all the illness. Is that simply because they are pushed harder than anyone else, or is that because they can do this and be protected, and therefore they will? I go with the latter of that. I, I, I firmly believe, and I've thought this for quite a while, and I'm putting myself out there, you find yourself in your union, you're, you put in your time, what is it, a year, six months? As soon as that happens, I'm sitting pretty. I got my boys and my girls behind me helping me out. I got I got a leader that's going to back me. I'm good. I'm not going to do that. Forget it. I'm in the union. I've seen it. I've talked to people. I have friends who are in unions. And it blows my mind the amount of laziness that they have created within themselves and within whatever organization or public sector they work in. I, I literally I have to get up from those conversations and walk away because it blows my mind how lazy they are because they have everyone backing them and they're still getting their paycheck. They can take off six months. They get all their holidays, all their pay. Too much work. No, I'm done. I got my union backing me. Thank you. Not a fan of that. Mike, I can't believe this is our last show together, <laughs> and I think we're going to have to take this outside. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, there are veins bulging exactly. in Sandy's head right now. You know, um, how do I even begin with this? I think that, that you can't paint that kind of brush of all the people. I mean, think about the first responders that you're talking about. You're talking about paramedics. You're talking about I police understand. people. You're talking about nurses. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that take absolute pride in their work. And Agreed. Do what they're to do. I'm not so, painting everyone with the yeah. same brush, but I'm, I'm talking about those bad apples mm-hmm. that brag about it and talk about it around a campfire having a couple beers. They make it bad for everyone else. Well, I suppose, but I think we have to look at the opposite, which is we now live in a province. Uh, we're, we're have-not province now, mm-hmm. by the way, and we live in a province where precarious work or part-time work, which are really just crappy jobs, those jobs are m- more plentiful and growing at a faster rate than decent-paying jobs. So I think, you know, when you look at what goes on in the private sector, I wouldn't think that's something that w- we would aspire to in this province. What Sometimes in the private sector, if you, you know, you have no you have no benefits. I mean, people need basic benefits to raise a family and to be able to be healthy in this country. You don't have those benefits. And if you don't work the kind of hours uh, that none of us, I think, would be prepared to work, like the 50 to 60 hours that we're asking these ATU drivers to work, Work. If you're not prepared to do that, you're quietly let go with no nothing. You don't get any severance. You have no entitlement. So, you know, we're talking about one extreme to another. And I think in this province, uh, you know, we have enough experience that we can find the part in the middle where we respect each other and we respect our work and that we find work that is, gives people a decent opportunity to have a good life. I just don't see how this particular I don't know if we can call it a job action. It's not It's not an official job action. It's just a lot of people, mm-hmm. an unprecedented number of people taking time off. I just don't see how the union, if it turns out that Metrolinks gets to run this and it's not HSR in the end, that the union can come back and say, we did everything to show that we can do this. I think I really believe this kind of thing is shooting themselves in the sure. foot. It's They are shooting themselves in the foot. And... Again, when the decision is made, ultimately, if it comes to Metrolinks, they can look back and they're going to, and I really believe they'll have to say, if they're looking at themselves honestly in the mirror, we didn't send the right message here. Agreed. We really didn't. And, you know, those people, now, I, and I'm not arguing that none of them have mental health issues. I'm not arguing that none of them are ill. Mm-hmm. But for those who are seemingly taking advantage of the system, and based, Sandy, on the fact that the numbers are so high relative to every other time, you would 
you would have to think that some people are taking some advantage. You know, these are if if the HSR was to run the LRT, they would have to hire more people. These are more jobs for your union that are going to potentially not be there. I, I, I again, I'm just looking at this, thinking if this, if you're making a point, right, so and then what trying would the point B, if it's if it's our conditions are too are, that we're everything right. you just said, we're being worked too hard, right. I don't see a likelihood that hundreds more LRT employees are suddenly going to be hired. I don't see that possibility. And so if we can't do the job as it stands right now with our employment levels, why in the world would we add the LRT to your workload when we're going to have even more people off sick because it's going to be even more work? It's the, it's the the message that is being sent as, hey, it just seems to me it's, they're defeating their own purpose. It, it's, you know, I'll, I'll concede that and it may be unintentional. I mean, let's just oh, sure. call that it may be actually. I don't think they're the, trying to no, defeat their own purpose. But I think that's that what you just talked about re- remains one of the many, many, many questions that we have not had answers to on how the province intends to implement and, and, and like build, implement and manage this system. That is a whole other issue, and you're absolutely correct that there seems to be this uh, stony silence now um, coming from the, from Queen's Park about what is going to happen with this. And you know what, Mike, my, my thought on that one, and we've got to go to a break here, mm-hmm. but my thought on that one is the answer is not because Queen's Park is hiding something from us. I don't think they have a clue. That's what I said. I don't think they've thought this through. I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think they have a clue what they want to do in this, and maybe they're trying to crunch some numbers and everything else, but I don't think Queen's Park is... They're, they're befuddled right now, and maybe they didn't realize how poor HSR was being run, and now they're, they've caught themselves between a rock and a hard place. Or maybe they have a high absentee rate at work. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, maybe you, be, we, we know all about politicians and quorum watch, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah, maybe, uh, oh, uh, Frank just writes in, um, HSR drivers can't get to work because they're stuck due to bike lanes. So, oh, hey, well said. <laughs> That's oh, line the, of the night. The bike lane people are going to be hunting <laughs> us down, I assure you. Um, actually, I saw there was a very funny clip today, and not really funny. I thought it was funny, but not really. Uh, on uh, CHCH, they were showing the launch of the new Bay Street bike lanes, and a car turned right and drove up the bike lane, thinking it was the <laughs> other way street. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that doesn't happen again. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Remember Alphaville? No. Forever Young? Oh, my goodness. Forever yes. Young. Yes. Okay, yeah. And that was a ter- terrific song. If you're a fan of Napoleon Dynamite, which everybody should be, uh, you're well familiar with that song again. Got a new life. You're a fan of that movie. That's Love my, Napoleon that Dynamite. That's going to be my campaign slogan. Is vote it? for Pedro. What? <laughs> you should go with that. I, I like that idea. Vote for Pedro. <laughs> it's from Napoleon Dynamite. I know the yeah. movie. I thought it was one of the worst movies ever. Oh, oh no, Mike. Mike, you were really going to have to banish him from the. the I may have the, to. Yeah, Mike is being studio. very controversial today because <laughs> yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. I mean. Listen, the chickens have large talents. Just remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you, need a, you need a gift certificate to go to Rex Quando. <laughs> we can do, this. We uh, can do yeah. this all night. You yes. two can. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so help me out explaining this, uh, this little thing here because I am really struggling to understand. The federal government has a budget coming, or, uh, and they put out a budget book. They've got a budget cover, and... The budget is, when the budget is printed, it's not something that you put out in the bookstore to try and sell (laughs) to people. It is a document, like an accounting book, really. So why in the world? The the federal government this year paid 
Let me get the right number here. $212,234 to come up with a cover, a cover Mm -hmm. for the budget book. Mm -hmm. It is, um, let me get some of the numbers here because I got to try and find uh, where this was written down. There was $89,500 for talent fees and models Hmm. to do this. The um, the cost exceeds the figure for last year's entire budget, mm-hmm. by the way, just for the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was partially explained by to a journalist by someone described or with the title of the senior marketing advisor for the finance department. Sure. Okay, a couple things here. First of all, before we get to the cover, why in the world does our finance department need a marketing de- finance department need a marketer or a marketing <laughs> head? What in the, what possibly could they be marketing from our finance department? Maybe they want us to you know use more money. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm and I'm sure to help design the money, maybe. I guess, but I'm sure <laughs> that if you're working as a senior, but you put the word senior in front of any title, you're talking 150 to 200 thousand anyway. So you've got someone who's probably making close to two hundred thousand dollars a year as the senior marketing advisor, which also means something else. There must be junior <laughs> marketing yeah, advisors. Sure. They must of have course. more than right. one person. Of course. What could you possibly market in the finance department? I don't understand. That's just money that we are flushing mm-hmm. down the toilet. And then you've got a cover that you have to design a special, attractive, happy-feeling cover for this for a book that no one buys. The only people who look at it are the journalists who are stuck in lockup before this thing is released. Sandy, what? You are wanting to venture into the world of politics. I applaud you for that. But why do politicians generally, and this is something you will change when you I win. I will. I'll change it all. Why do our politicians all or almost all seem to be so free with spending our money on stuff that if this was in the private sector, and you know this, this would never happen. No company that had a monopoly on something would say, let's spend more money on something we have no need to spend money on. Why do we do this? You know, I don't have an answer for you, but I, I know, just as you know, this is why people are so deeply cynical about politics. There just seems to be absolutely no regard for taxpayer dollars, how hard working families work for that kind of money. And I think it's just a window on a world where they're completely disconnected from people's everyday lives. And I would add that the finance minister, Morneau, I mean, he, he's, his, he's a trust fund person, and so he comes from a, a yacht club, cl- you know, a yacht cl- club class that none of us are, are are familiar with. He possibly doesn't know what it costs to buy milk. But even if he start. doesn't, even if he doesn't know what it costs to buy a bag of milk, I, I don't. I really don't care if he does or doesn't. I don't care if he is completely financially out of touch with the rest of us. What I don't, what I expect from him, and anyone else who holds that position is. We are not going to just throw money away for no apparent reason. It makes no sense to me, Mike. But if he is out of touch with how much a bag of milk is or a loaf of bread is, he's probably out of touch with how much it costs to put a simple binder together. Give my two kids pencils, crayons, and markers, and they could have designed it. Mm-hmm. Give him 50 bucks and everyone would have been happy. But do so, you, wait, hold on a second. Do you, though, believe that as the guy who was involved with a private sector company, that if his, they are looking, private right. sector companies are always being knocked because they're all about the bottom line. Do you really believe that if someone came to him and he said, we are putting out a book for our shareholders 
and we can put a blank white page with a black type on it that will cost us 50 cents or we can spend 200,000. Do you think he's really going to say, yeah, put the, spend the 200,000? No chance he's going to do that. Not with his own money. Not with his own money. He's never going to do that. No, of course not. But, but it's not his the, money. So I, I know. Don't, I, don't get your, I don't get your point. It's because not his money, so he doesn't care. Because as soon as they get into office, yeah. they spend money without regard. It doesn't matter if he's a trust fund kid yeah. or someone else. These people seem to find ways to spend money that's not theirs because they don't care. They that's lose, the problem. They've lost track of reality. They've lost track of what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, how to balance a budget when you're you're making... X hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, and you have nannies and uh, flights paid for all over the world. You you lose touch with what is really truly going on in the world. I know Sandy won't be like that as a politician. No, I'll be the MPP that cares. But you, but, <laughs> but what I want another to say though, another caption for you. Yes, yeah. Yeah. another slogan. But the, you know, so let's say why is there a marketing person and why did they do this on the cover? So they they had actors essentially to play yeah. what an, what ordinary. Canadians are supposed to look like. And if we were, again, being cynical, one of two things. One is that this cover represents uh, the government, uh, you know, attempt to explain to us that we understand what your life is like. We here in the Sunny Ways uh, Department understand what your life is like and that this budget reflects what we're trying to do for you. That's one way to look at it. Or an even more cynical way to look at it is that we just get stuck at the front page of the front cover and don't open it to see what's in there because I'm sure buried in there, uh, there are things in there that are not beneficial to working Canadians. They're not beneficial to the very people that are pictured on the cover. But who looks at the budget? Who actually looks at the budget book? How do you know I don't read it from cover to cover? Politicians look mm-hmm. at it. Their staff looks at it. Yeah. And journalists who, as I say, well, are go. put into a lockup beforehand right. for several hours. They're, look, if you're out there and you are someone who goes to your local representative, your MP, and says, I'd like a copy of the budget, I think you can probably get one. I don't know sure. anyone who has ever done that. This is not a widely circulated book within the public. This is a, you are now designing a cover for people who were going to read this anyway. They were going to read it anyway. This is not a... It's a waste of money. It's It's a a taxpayer's waste of money. But we can go down a list and find so many examples. This is just a crystal clear, colossally stupid Mm -hmm. thing. But so it's all the time that we find politicians who just seem... And again, Sandy, no insult to you, but when you get into office... For some reason, people like you, with good intentions when they've got into office, seem to have forgotten the very things they've said, like you did, that you've said right now, that I will not do this. And I'm not saying you will forget, but a lot of people have followed that path. I'm here to cut costs. I'm here to make sure that we're being careful with our money. And then it's, boop. It's all gone. Well, I'm going to spend. Hey, I've got city councilors. Like, again, uh, what do you call the, uh, the, the ward dispensation, oh, it, the... Uh, the participatory budget, or it's called the... the yeah, they yeah. put it out to the participatory And some of those budget. things, some of the things that it gets spent on are great, but it seems to me odd that we're telling people, here is an extra chunk of money, and there's no option to say, you know what, we're not going to spend that. We're just going to right. save that. It's a must-spend 
chunk of money. At least that's how it's perceived. We, and we talked about that, Mike, on yeah. Cable 14, that, that it adds up to be a lot of money. Sure mm-hmm. it does. So it's about, it's about $1.5 million per year for the, for the downtown wards. And they've had that over, I think, the last, I'm going to say, two seven terms, years. Two yeah, terms, two, at two least. Two terms. So it's a big chunk of money. Eight million bucks. At the discretion of counselors. Yeah. And, again, and it was intended to be infrastructure money. And some of the things that it's been spent on, Sure, we need to have those things, but sometimes it just seems, oh, I've got this money. I've got to spend it on well, something. What are we going to spend it I on? And I think that's the mindset. If you have it, you have to spend it because next t- next go around, you didn't spend it, you don't need as much. And they always want to make sure that they have enough in their back pocket for something that might come up. And And I've worked within companies where the marketing department, they make sure they spend right down to the final nickel because if they don't, next time they go into budget for the next year, their marketing budget is going to be cut. So they make sure they spend and then, of course, they ask for more. So I think that's just the mindset, whether it's public or private. But why would we not then with these things, and we've jumped from federal now to municipal, but it's it's politicians we're talking about in general. general, With this kind of thing, why would you not say, you know what, if you don't spend this, you can keep that in a bank account for a project Next year, you can cumulatively build it up and build it up, and then maybe at some point, you can do a huge right. project or fix something well, in your ward that needs fixed. Well, to be perfectly fair and accurate, they do that. They so can do they that? They can do that, yes. Okay. So in Ward 1, they have, uh, are accumulating a budget to uh, deal with Prince Philip School. So in right. Wood, Prince Philip School was closed, and there's an, and they that neighborhood has absolutely no school, no recreation services, n- nothing at all. So there's an example where it's a good use of that dollar. Uh, sure. They're saving it up to acquire so that those people that are so poorly served... Uh, might have something of substance is what you're talking about. I agree. If it's if it's something of substance, good. Of course, and that that makes complete sense. And thank you very much for clearing that up. You're very welcome. Yeah. Because I think I there's a lot of people that, I'm here that didn't know that. You yeah, yeah. Up. <laughs> but but to the original question regarding marketing budgets and 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 all this, that's what they have to do. And I am I am positive that there have to be some people well below in the pecking order at the bottom of that totem pole. And hopefully that wasn't, you know, I'm trying to be politically correct, just using a phrase out there, jeez, um, that are probably looking and saying, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't right. But you know what? I can't say anything because now my job's on the line. You know you know what I'm saying? They're probably too afraid to maybe speak up because they're in a government position themselves. They've got to look after their own bacon. It's It's just too often that we are seeing money just thrown away and we need every dime that is spent on yes. taxes. We do. We're not in a position no. to say, oh, we've got so much extra money. The federal liberals are running massive deficits. The provincial liberals are running enormous deficits. Here in Hamilton, we have Crazy. the latest report is three point something billion dollar infrastructure deficit, 200 and something million in urgent building and facilities renewals. We don't have the money no. To say, oh, you know what, we should spend it on a cover of a budget magazine. So the lens needs to be, at all those levels, they have to look at this as a need to have, not a nice to have. And I think we're, we're so busy. But to politicians don't like need to have. They like that's nice, right. like, they like have. the niceties. Because that's glossy and that's the shiny that, that's object. That's how you get votes. It's called the window votes. dressing. That's the shiny that's object. That's how you get votes. Yep. And smoke and mirrors. I, there's got to be a way. And I don't, off the top of my head right now, I don't know what the way is. I don't know if you have... You know, if we if we set it to say, you know, politicians will get paid on a percentage based on 
uh, surplus that we bring in every year or something rather than running deficits. I, I don't know what the answer would be, but somehow there's got to be – since they won't do it just out of – their own smarts or the goodness of their heart. There's got to be something that will inspire or motivate politicians it's to be smarter. Too bad with our you money. couldn't have politicians under contract like you you do an athlete. You get X amount of dollars per year, and with an athlete, if you get uh, 500 at bats or 30 stolen bases or throw uh, 200 innings, you get bonuses. Well, how it's, do we? It, I, and yeah. again, I don't know how you monitor that in the world of politics. That's a whole different world. I get it. But if you don't reach certain targets or if you go above what you were supposed to be at, you know, there has to be a way. But you know what? It's never going to happen. It's never going to pass because why would politicians put themselves in that position? That's right because there's there's no ultimate body that says you must do this. It's like the fox watching the hen house. But there is some accountability. It's called an election. Well, there's that. Uh, That's the ultimate. But there is an auditor general that does a report every year and identifies ways. But they don't don't really do anything. anything. They just get their wrist slapped for a day or two and then they go, oh, well – and then they say how horrible she or he is and carry on with their behaviors. No one no one from the liberals has said, oh, you know what? This 218 or 200 no, whatever thousand dollar thing was such a colossally stupid and unnecessary thing that the liberal party itself will take this out of our coffers to cover it because we realize what a moronic move this was. I haven't heard that yet. No. That would be one that would be interesting if a party finally said, yeah, you know what? This was excessive. We're covering this, Canada. Don't worry because about I it. Because I think politicians think that people will forget. They think the news cycle moves uh, on, course. and this we, is old news. But even in, particularly in this province, people have stopped forgetting. The, those the, those things are starting to we'll accumulate. See. We'll, we'll see. see. But can I make this promise? Very when quickly, I am yeah. an MPP at Queen's Park, I'll figure this out, and I'll come back here on the oh, show. Oh, we'd love that? to have that. If you <laughs> hey, figure it out. save the tape back there. You yeah. heard it. Save the tape, all right? Thumbs Quick up. Break. Back after this. Stay with us. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Sandy, we got Halloween coming up next week. Is Halloween as good today as it used to be? I think so. You think I, so? I have grandkids. It's pretty exciting. I was, gonna, I was wondering because it seems to me that it's we've, we either through political correctness or everything else, we've sort of tried to, I don't know, dull it. But if the grandkids say it's still great, then the grandkids say it's still great. That's... Uh, as long as they get free candy, right? Exactly. And it's they're really into episode. the costumes. They're really into the costumes. One one is a werewolf, and the other wants to be a chef. You should cool. go down the road to Western University and trick-or-treat trick or there so they can be a werewolf in London. <laughs> ah, <laughs> Warren Zevon, nice. my Ooh. favorite. Do you know his words of advice when he knew he was not well? Enjoy every sandwich. <laughs> I like it. I always remember, Mike, when uh, when I was growing up, so the, the weather seemed to be a little bit colder back then. Yeah. And you would spend weeks coming up with what your costume was going to be. You would pour your heart and soul into coming mm. up with it. And then mom would send you out with your parka on top. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, cold, so yeah. everyone was an Inuit. We, st- we still or, see that. I was never, as a kid growing up, I was never a fan of Halloween. And I, no? I detest it even more now. And for me, every year was... I'm just putting on my my baseball uniform from the summer. You know, I, I have a 13 year old now. I think this will be his last year. 
my nine-year-old, she really enjoys it, but I just I can't get into this time of year. I I just I've never enjoyed people are spending it at all. billions on it now. Yeah. It's such a huge it is business. Lots of suckers. But I've, I still like the thing about it that's no so simple. It's that you people come to your doorstep and you see your neighbors, you see your neighbors' kids. Yeah. It's kind of an on-the-street community event that it doesn't happen be. very often. It can be. So and if you're smart, if so you're positive, smart, yeah. because my brightest moments came when I was a kid around Halloween because this was free candy. Yes. We had three costumes ready to go. Wow. So you would do the neighborhood quickly. You would run with your buddies and your pillowcase. You would run home, dump your pillowcase, clean it out, switch costumes, and do the whole thing again, and then do it a third time before they shut down for the night. If you were quick, you could get th- almost three full pillowcases full of candy. You yeah. sound like you could be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> Except the difference would be I would go to their house and I would demand all their candy from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then charge a tax on and it. And then charge, yeah, <laughs> charge tax. Bravo. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Let's jump into the deep end to start the second hour. And this is a, this is a topic that is, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to be sarcastic or anything. This is one of the heftier and more troubling topics that I think is out there right now. And it came up again this week. Discussions among the Canadian Pediatric Society regarding palliative care for children. That's not the part that is the difficult part of the question. Of course, if a child is terminally ill or horribly ill, we want them to have those opportunities and that ability to have palliative care. But this came from a second part of the question, which was the idea that we should perhaps or we will perhaps allow children under the age of 18 to receive doctor-assisted suicide. I don't know, Mike, why don't you jump in first on this one tonight? But this, to me, is one of the most uncomfortable, queasy things that I've heard of in a long, long time that that we are possibly now allowing or talking about allowing kids to make the decision at what age, 12, 13, 14, I don't know, that they want to have a doctor help them end their life. I, I, I have huge problems with this. It is... Um it, it, it's it's a very upsetting topic. You know, I ha- I have two young kids. Um, I, I as a parent, I I couldn't ever imagine s- um, being in that position to sign off on that with my child or the doctor or allowing my my kids to go to a doctor and have that discussion. It's it's too bad that we are in the world that we're in in the state that we're in right now, where kids at these ages, 12, 13, 9, 10 even, are having these thoughts um, that want to say enough is enough. And I think a lot of it comes down to parenting or lack of parenting. Um, I I understand there's also another parameter to this based on the fact if they uh, are severely disabled or or, or aren't going to be able to have much of a life based on their ways to get around and so on and so forth. But still, even that's a tough one because they they can still, no matter what your age, what your disability is, you have so much that you can still offer with your smile, with your thoughts, with the technology nowadays on how you can get your thoughts across. So it's a tough one. And there's, there's I don't know if there's any right answer. I, I don't know but what, what you're talking about. And I just want, let me separate this into two things because yeah. you're onto something here that is very, that is a second part of this. You sort of jumped ahead, but that's okay. fine. 
the first part they're talking about, and Sandy, they did a survey with Canadian doctors, the Canadian Pediatric Association, and roughly half of the doctors they surveyed said they would like, they believe that right to die or assisted suicide options should be offered to kids in cases of terminal illness or intractable pain. The second part that we'll get to in a second was what what Mike brought up, because I think once you've opened the door to some of these things, the door never closes. It opens more and more and more, and we're going to get to a point where it's not just physical things, it's mental health and it's other things. But we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, the idea of a, let's say, I mean, you have grandchildren. Let's say a nine-year-old grandchild was given a... Let's touch everything that's wood and pray yeah. not. But but they had a diagnosis of a cancer that was going to probably be terminal. Is a nine-year-old mature enough, capable enough, clear enough to make that kind of decision? That's the tr- that's the difficulty I have with this. I'm not. We don't let them vote. We don't let them drive. We don't let them drink. And yet we're. Could we possibly be at the point where we're saying you can decide whether you're going to kill yourself or have a doctor help you die? Well, again, this is such a somber topic. It really is. Um, and that we need to move very carefully through this. And I would just like to say to begin with, as you have alluded to, I cannot imagine being a parent that is even considering this as an option. And we have to understand the depth of the pain and the depth of the compassion, the, the desperation that a parent would have watching their child suffer, knowing that, in fact, that that this is an option for them. So let's start there, understanding that this is an, this is something where they just do, you know, there's absolutely no other other options that they're feeling this this desperate to, to consider this. But in terms of, and so in term, but in terms of the practicality of how do we enact this? What 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 are the kinds of protections that we put in and around this? I mean, this is these are the same kinds of questions that we're asking and we're that we're still trying to grapple with when it comes to adults themselves making the decision the for difference themselves. is that with children we have said in so many other facets of their life you are not in a position yet right. to make these difficult decisions now you're asking them to make the most difficult right. decision and, and it may be that as we move forward they, they i mean that they're not making the decision i mean that's the that's the most uncomfortable part of this is all but then it's all. a mercy killing well then if mom and dad are just given the green light to have their right. child, well, that's a that's an expression. No, which but it's is but essentially it's what, it what we're talking about is a form of mercy. Is what we're what we're talking about. But it's euthanasia about. then, because it's no longer about the person choosing this for themselves. It's about so someone we, else making that decision. And, and so, this is the absolute extreme of what we do as parents. But as parents, we're entrusted with every aspect of our young mm-hmm. children's lives, Agreed. really every aspect. And so the very fact, I mean, we, we brought them into this world. We, you know, we, we ensure that they're clothed, that they're fed, we protect them. I mean, we make decisions for our kids all the time, and that's uh, our, our uh, responsibility as parents. And, for the, and I would say for the most part, a parent would never make a decision about a child that they didn't think was in the best interest of that child. And so even though it's so uncomfortable to say what we're talking about is another person uh, making the choice to end a person's life, uh, that is what, you know, that in many regards is what a parent's purview is, that they ha- are entrusted with making the best decisions but they Sandy, can for their you child. But Sandy, th- you are then, and, and look, I, I understand what you're saying, but you're then trusting that every single parent wants the best for their kid. And while I agree that the enormous majority would, I'm not sure you can say that for everyone. We have cases where 
parents have been charged with harming Certainly. their children. So you can't across the board say every parent has the best interests of their child always at hand, which is why I don't believe that you can simply put it ultimately. And I'm, I don't mind saying it, I'm against doctor assisted suicide yes. generally, and that's fine. But I don't believe certainly that you can put it in the hands of someone else. Ultimately, regardless of how it is, the person who is going to die has to be the one to say at the end, I want to die. But, but not when you're not when you're eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 years old. You, you want to be in your mid 20s. You want to be in your 30s, 40s. I can maybe see it. But going back to the original question is at this at such a young age. And, and and that's where it it doesn't make sense. That's where that's where a government has to step in and say, no, this is not happening. This is not happening for for kids under a certain age. But the, and so here's now where we get into the real to me where we get into the real difficulty now because and we'll get back to this in a second. But I don't believe for a second that there is not going to be a case coming up in the Supreme Court of Canada at some point, whether it's a year from now or five years or ten years, where someone who is right now not included in the right-to-die purview, whether that's a young child or whether that's someone who's suffering from an extreme mental illness right now or a depression, where they say, look, we identify mental illness as a as an illness. It's not a weakness. It's an illness. And if a cancer is an illness and I can ask for a right to die, then why can I not for mental? And as soon as you then crack that door open, you this, this thing becomes so difficult because it's how do you then start saying who can and who can't? I don't know how you do that. I don't know how that gets undone. No. And, and, and let's just start with, I don't think we even have done a very good job of acknowledging mental health and well-being in our lives, in, in the workplace. And starting so we're to. We're just starting to. So, that, so you know, I, I agree with you that that should be part of the conversation. But, you know, um, I think that that's why we have, like, the Canadian Pediatric Association. That's why there's, there's, ethics, in, um, it, there's ethics reviews around this. There's integrity uh, people that re- will review this. This is not something as simple. I mean, when you have someone that's on life support, an adult, even if they have a power of attorney, the decision just to, to uh, you know, unhook someone from life support isn't just yours alone. There's some checks and balances that you need to go through. So I imagine that the same kinds of checks and balance, if not more so, will be in place if we ever get to a point where this is made available. But I just would like to say, I mean, the very fact that we're having these conversations these are difficult conversations. There's no obviously easy answer. But I imagine the parents that are grappling with this w- w- would like to hear what we have to say. I think they mm-hmm. themselves don't know what the right answer is. It's not like parents understand that this is even a possibility or that they could even conceive of this. So this is an important conversation that we have to help uh, parents and families that are faced with this horrific situation that I think none of us uh, can imagine. The the ahead, by the way, uh, this is a story that's online. The CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada mm-hmm. said, for us, talking about the ability for children mm-hmm. to have this option, for us, this is fundamentally an issue about discrimination. How can we look away from the 16-year-old that is enduring intolerable suffering uh, that can make other health care decisions? How can we look away from them in the face of that suffering and deny them their right to an assisted death? And, and so, sorry, Mike, go ahead. Here... I don't want to get cold toward this because this is such a sensitive topic, but you said something that hit my nerve. He's the CEO of this company. Well, it's, a, it's an advocacy group. It's not a company. It's of a, a group? Yeah. 
Is he getting a paycheck for this? Is this is this is this a business for him, know. or is he doing this out of the goodness of his heart and being a volunteer? I don't know. Let Let's assume the latter until we know otherwise. Let's assume the latter well, that think he's it, doing it as a volunteer. I I, I, I th- because I if think, he's getting paid, I think that sways it though. So no. I, I would have liked. I'd like to m- know more information. Like if 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 he's if this is a business for him, all of a sudden, I'm sickened by it. If he's a volunteer, okay, then I'll maybe perk my ears up and listen to him a little bit more. But let's face it, so much of this world goes around because of business and because of money. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not going to go to the point where I think that people are now pushing for assisted suicides as a business venture. But I but I, look, I, I I simply look at this thing as if you're going to use the word discrimination. Discrimination is a loaded. Sandy's watching what she says. No, no. Here. Discrimination <laughs> is a loaded word. It is. It's like a lot of other words now. It is a loaded word. And if you, as soon as you start throwing that around and saying, if I don't let you have this, it's discrimination. If I don't let you have this, it's discrimination. I think we're starting, we have started in Canada this process in a way that we have tried to tiptoe into this territory and be very careful about who is allowed to have doctor-assisted suicide. But I'm telling you, in some period of time, the Supreme Court is going to hear a case Mm -hmm. and the discrimination argument is going to be given and they're going to say, yes, all children are now eligible, all people with depression are eligible, and now you have opened up a Pandora's box that we can't shut and it becomes exceedingly i've seen depression not suicide thankfully i've seen depression i'm sure you've seen people with depression mike i'm sure you've seen people with depression that is something we tell them there is a light at the end of the tunnel you can be fixed from that you can be healed from that there is help but if you have the option to say no i'm mentally ill i should be entitled to doctor assisted suicide and the courts which i'm telling you they're going to at some point will say yes so that's, an, you know, you've got one very difficult, complex problem layered on with exactly. another. Exactly. A mystery and really wrapped it in a riddle. Friday really, night. Yeah. <laughs> but I think really what we need to lead with is understanding, with lead with compassion and understanding. We're talking about parents and we're talking about kids. And you bring the notion of discrimination. Well, what we're talking about is, is an unequal treatment. And it really does ring true to me that if we do not want to see adults suffering needlessly and prolonging uh, the kind of pain and suffering that is unnecessary, it seems doubly so that we wouldn't want that for our young children. It's a complex issue. None of us are going to have a simple answer for that. But I think, as I said earlier, having this conversation mm-hmm. that we grapple with as, as Canadians, as a society, I think it's really important and that these conversations will help parents that are struggling with this. And the thing is, these are conversations that I'm fairly certain government doesn't want to have because this, this, these aren't conversations that are going to get them votes. They, they want to push this so far into the back, they don't want anything to do with we this. We have a number of issues in our country that governments do not want to discuss. Best, best to just, I mean, the abortion mm-hmm. debate is one right. of them. We don't want to discuss it. And this one would be one of them. We don't want to discuss it. I, I, I go back to the very beginning of this and the idea that if I, again had a seven-year-old, a six-year-old. I'm not talking about someone who's right on the precipice of being an adult. They may be a mature 17-year-old and you go, okay. But if I have a four-year-old, a five-year-old who is really sick, are we comfortable with the idea that they or their parents would say, yes, we're going to allow a doctor to end their life? I'm not. I'm not comfortable with that. I think there's way too many risks involved in that. 
I mean, I think we should start by acknowledging that we don't know and that it's not us that should be answering that question. It's the parents and the families of the people that are in this situation. We need to hear from them before we start saying what is right or is not right. But if it's you, amazing, But right? if you only go by feelings, though, Sandy, then you, you have to have a guideline before because if it only goes by – there's a lot of things that we would want to do because it oh, yeah. feels better. We need to have an outline for this. Well, certainly we're not going to go into this willy-nilly. I mean, I'm certainly there will be lots of discussion, lots of dialogue, lots of considerations, both ethical, legal, before we move down this road because as we all acknowledge, this is something that uh, we just can't fathom that we would have to be confronted with this kind of a decision. Uh, the survey, by the way, uh, 2,600 pediatricians were asked these questions about w- what's going on. 40% responded, according to the Canadian Pediatric Society. And uh, as I say, about 50% said they were in favor of doctor-assisted suicide. So 2,600 went out, 40% replied, and of the 40%, only f- only 50%. So, let's say, let's so, say 1,100. So 20%. Say eleven hundred, and then fifty percent of that. So about six hundred. Let's say rough rough number. For doing easy sake. math of twenty six hundred. So it's certainly. But then again, uh, when we have an election, not everybody mm, exactly. votes. Exactly. So so those statistically, with with putting my nerd hat on, statistically those are significant findings. We can't you know we can't blush them away because of the numbers. And I would say that that's a pretty high number of of, of pediatricians that say that they would support this. And who? better to listen to pediatricians that have cared for patients and have lost patients, young patients. Pediatricians are the ones that have seen this suffering. So I would take their opinion. Uh, It would be very weighted heavily in what we should be listening to when we're trying to make this decision. The other thing in this, we've got to go to break. The other thing in this, though, that becomes very important to me is there's been a there was a case and I think it was in Winnipeg this week and it was a patient an elderly or more elderly maybe 70 I don't know year old man in a Winnipeg Catholic hospital I think and he has been asking for doctor assisted suicide and was complaining that the process to get everything done was taking too long and this especially now with children there has to be something in ironclad language written into the law that says mm-hmm. any doctor that was not comfortable with, th- not only with doing this, but with referring this, mm-hmm. should be allowed to excuse him or herself. There is no doctor that should be forced to exactly. either perform the procedure or even direct a child to a doctor. If you want, if you're in a hospital, if you want to find a doctor, you can ask around and you can find it. You should not put it on people who are morally, ethically, religiously, whatever, Agreed. opposed to this that they have to participate. And that's another area where we we got to go where we run into problems because that doesn't seem to always happen. We seem to somehow you've got to help the patient and you're not allowed to have a righteous objection. But hopefully, hopefully, it's a very well, well, we'll leave that one. It's Friday night. That's that's as heavy as we're going to get for our Friday night. Let me tell you. But it's a but boy, it's, it's a, a serious and important. But issue, it is though. a really tough one. It is a really tough one because there are a lot of people who are going to have serious concerns and qualms and heebie-jeebies, which is a bad. Right. But that's about true. this, it's so emotional and so difficult when children are involved. But as we speak, there's some parent right now that's faced with this. Uh, kind of course, of decision. of course, there are. Of course, there are, and some kid that may be asking. Yes. And if there is a kid out there listening, I hope they have someone that they can actually talk to. Of course. I don't know that we're the, 
ones, but a no, doctor or a, no, no, no. I mean, no, I'm yeah. saying, but not listening us. to us. No, I mean, it's a it's an interesting discussion. It is. I would hope you would talk to someone within the medical community Certainly. and not you know and not just go by not just us. Other things in the paper or on radio or TV. This is a bigger issue than that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Wanted to um, wanted to share this with you guys because this is um, this is pretty good. Uh, earlier, I guess it was last week, I just came across this, and uh, I, I'm told he's been a good sport about this at City Hall, but Councillor Terry Whitehead was speaking at um, St. Thomas More. He was giving the morning an- announcements and uh, uh, to all the students. And here's what this sounded like. Oh, I can't wait. Good morning, students of St. Thomas More School, and go Knights, go. You know, in the, I'm was raised in northern Ontario uh, and uh, on a lake. And often in the morning call, we heard in the morning the sound of the Canadian loon. And, uh, and I thought, just for your attention, I'll try to imitate the sound we would wake up to on the lakes of Ontario. Here we go. the sound of the Kelly. There you go. Okay. That was, that was just funny. It was, it was, we, we've all had those days. But anyway, you know, I was thinking to myself as we were playing that, you know what that needs? <laughs> that needs some hinterland who's oh, who. No. I actually thought it was pretty good, to be it honest was pretty, with you. It got pretty got good at the end. He, he knows how to do <laughs> he it. He warmed up. He, and apparently at City Hall, he was having some fun with this. So, uh, Will, can you throw together some hinterland who's who on this one? See what we can do with this one. is also called the Great Northern Diver because of its ability to dive and swim long distances underwater. The calls of the loon, and it has several calls in its repertoire, have come to symbolize Canada's wilderness because of their lonely, haunting quality. complete story of the loon, why not contact the Canadian Wildlife Service in Ottawa? Props to Will, man. Oh, oh, oh. I can't even be serious about anything again. That is, that. Uh, that loon has emphysema, unfortunately. Oh, dear. That is very funny. Props to Terry Whitehead for trying. I give him full marks for trying to do that, but boy, that was funny. I was, I laughed. It was put on Twitter. It's all over the place now. I think but it's also called the laughing loon. The, by yes, the way. yes, so, uh, yeah. would be now. Good for him. I, I think that at next city council meeting, all councillors should have to provide a <laughs> sa- an animal sound, a signature sound. sound. It, rather than put up their hands, they should have to, you know, do something to. Um, I think we should get to pick what each. We one should of them get to pick. To well, do, yeah. Pasuda would be great at that, right? With his his oh. farming experience. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this show is devolving. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Wow, yeah. Scott! Oh, yeah. Another loon? Oh, I am well blown done, away. sir. Terry Whitehead. Lessons available at the no, Scott Radley kidding. Show. There's gonna be a loon off. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Sandy, uh, a Halifax City Councilor. Now, I don't know how this topic came up in their discussion in Halifax City Council, but nonetheless, it did. 
has determined that he will no longer use the term marijuana when describing wacky tobacco because hmm. it is racist. The term marijuana, he has discovered or believes is racist, that it was used to demonize marginalized Mexican communities back in the 1900s. So two questions. I'll start with this first one. If nobody, and I'd never heard this before. A number of people I talked never heard this before. I tried to look it up and had a hard time finding anything that referred to this. If nobody knows, if a word is commonly used and nobody is aware that there may or possibly could be somewhere down the line some racial element to it, is it a racist word? If you, if you, when you hear it, you don't know that it's a that nobody knows apparently that it's a racist term. Is it still racist? If, in fact, well, this is, I don't know. I think a little bit of racism is in the ear of the beholder, if you will. And so I think that we, we again, are not the judges of that. I would think it would be the, you know, the, the people that are feeling that this word diminishes their experience of their lives. So I would an- answer the question in saying that are there people that beyond this counselor in Halifax, did you say? Halifax? Halifax. And he did not, he says that this was, he, well, put it this way. He found this out because he was talking to a police officer, I guess, who mentioned something about it. But it was not brought to his attention by people of Mexican origin or someone who was mm-hmm. saying that they had been offended by this term. And I I had never, ever heard that marijuana had any kind of racial no, I, overtones. No, I hadn't heard that as well. So I, I would say we words matter. I would of say course. words matter and that we, we need to be very mindful of how words uh, affect other people, impact other people. Certain words marginalize other people. I think there was today a concern about, was it a Cheerios? And the, the, one, mm. the one Cheerio... Coco, oh, no, not Cocoa Pie. It was, uh, yeah, some sort of, um, yeah, there was a cereal. And it was all animated little cereals. And the one, and they were cereal that was a caretaker, was brown-skinned or mm. brown... Browner than the so, other ones, yes. you know, it seems like it's... A, a, that kind of seems like it's light and funny, but not really. Those are some serious questions. Why did that happen? That seems beyond a coincidence. So I think the, this portrayal of other people's cultures and other people's religion, other people's orientation, really does matter. Um, you know, if you're, So I think it does matter. Whether or not marijuana is a racist term is beyond me. But if if there's if people are concerned about it, I think they should take it out with Justin Trudeau. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, our most politically correct prime minister yes. uses it all the time. Right. Mike, I, I mean, think you have a politician here who's trying to grab some headlines. Um, <laughs> and, and who's to say this officer wasn't kind of having maybe a little fun with them? We don't know the history of this. Well, a bunch of stuff. Has, a bunch of stuff has now popped up in response to this. Oh, I'd like to arguing know. Arguing about whether or not it is, and it's it's kind of unclear. Like, it's some people say yes, it it possibly has some racial background. But I, again, my my question, Mike, is this, and it's not to diminish it, but if nobody knows that a word, if seemingly nobody knows that a work a word might have racial connotations, and you use it, is it racist? If, if if you don't know it's racist, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it is. Like, I <laughs> are you offending somebody if you don't? First of all, if you don't know that you're offending them, and if they don't know they're being offended, this is a riddle, is it? Well, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you're really you're really messing with my head here on a Friday night, half an hour before the I end know, of my the head, show here. My head hurts. You know, am I supposed to be uh, overly sensitive and and, uh, and and feel slighted every time you make a comment that I got the greatest hair in Hamilton? That's racist. 
Why why does Mike have the greatest hair in Hamilton? I got the greatest hair in Hamilton. That's like, Harrist. It's Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't even know where to go with this because honestly, I can't even believe this is a topic and this made news. It's because of social media that this thing got around the world probably. It just mm-hmm. – Sandy, I – we've said this a thousand times. At least I have. I know on this show. I think we've become too sensitive as a society. Marijuana. How is that – it just – nothing comes – I don't know. Do you think we're too sensitive? I don't know. I can't help you out on that one. Well, <laughs> but I, so, so let me let me, <laughs> let me turn this. Let me ask you another question on this one oh. then, because no, because it goes to this whole idea of who is is the idea of offense. I'm a big believer, uh, and some will disagree with me, but the the things that are truly offensive need to be addressed and dealt with and stopped. And when we come up with so many other things that are peripheral and not really it diminishes the impact of those things that really are. So mm-hmm. when someone Agreed. when someone says that you are being this because you said something and it's not it anyway, there are there's a high times which is a an online well, I guess, guess. Right. Yeah, <laughs> an online publication about the uh, the marijuana industry and is talking about this and says actually the word they're saying the word probably came from Chinese originally and it was a Chinese word that meant, um, uh, where's here that uh, the plant, the plant that was described in Chinese, it was ma re ma, ma ren hua, and that became marijuana because it was easier to say. So it may not have any connotation at all. Some people mm-hmm. will say it does some, but does this then mean that if anybody about anything says something has a connotation, that we must stop using referring to that? Period. period, whether it's this or anything else. Sandy, if someone says to you, you're wearing, and now this is a silly example, so I'm not actually saying, I'm just giving an example. If someone says hoodie has a con, well, it, some people would now because of, um, uh, what's his name, who was shot down in the, the right. States. Trayvon, Tra- Tra- Trayvon. Trayvon Martin. So if I, someone said hoodie now has a connotation and no one else seems to understand it, is that offensive to say and should I stop saying it? Can I start with that I'm offended that you describe what I'm wearing on air? Because that's the beauty of radio, <laughs> that I'm you can po- wear whatever you like. It's a lovely hoodie. <laughs> it's roots. It's beautiful. <laughs> but it, like, where, where, do we, where do we come up with the lines? Where's the point when we say, yes, that really is something you shouldn't? And where is something where you say, come on, that's, that's, you're pushing it a little too far here? Well, I think it's not a it's a it's a wavy line. Let's just say Fair that. Fair enough. You know, I think it's a wavy line, and and I think there's certain things, you know, that we now don't say and we accept, and certain people people's differences and their orientation that now is just commonplace that were not before. I mean, if you think of some of the words that we did use 25 years ago, 50 years ago, if you're a First Nations person, you've heard some horrible things in this country. If you're a person of color, you've heard some horrible things, and at one point. When we were corrected on that, people thought, oh, come on, now you're being sensitive, or I just meant it as a joke. So uh, what I would say is that we don't want to, you know, uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. We don't want to not be sensitive to the way words hurt people and uh, categorize people. I agree that we need to do that. But at the same time, you know, there there, there are, are probably worse um, or more egregious things that we should be addressing. Like, I'd be curious that Halifax City Council, there's probably you know, other other words and other things that maybe need to be dealt with before uh, they go into worrying about the word marijuana. If this is the case, does this make our mayor 
a racist all of a sudden? No? <laughs> well, no, because this is my my other part of this, though. But no, my other part of this, in all seriousness, is do you have to have a victim of sorts to have something be racist? So mm-hmm. if I have not heard, and, and I'm very very straightforward, and I couldn't find anything online, I have not heard any Mexican person complain about the use of the word marijuana. I've I've maybe it's been out there. I've not heard it. This is the this counselor is the first time I've ever heard this before. If nobody is complaining who is in the allegedly affected group, are we? does that change how we feel about these things? I don't know. It doesn't change how I feel. Again, like I said, I think he's, he's, he's reaching for headlines. He's trying to get his name out there, and he's doing a good job of it because we're talking about it here in Hamilton. I... I uh, I think the intent the, the, matters, though, too. You know, I mean, I think like the, I, I think in some way you can be accidentally, um, unknowingly, you not educated on the words that you're using and the impact they have, and that's why people bring it to our when when it's brought to our attention. I think that's important, right? Because you just can say, "I didn't know," and I'm sorry. I ha- because we need to be educated. And we need to be always trying to do better. Um, so that's kind of you know you do it out of out of. Just not knowing, but why but should the we... intent of using a word to harm or diminish someone makes a difference when you use certain words. But again, it's it's the word marijuana. It oh. comes. It's it's the name of a plant. Right. It, you're not you're you're not you're not disrespecting the plant's culture. You're not disrespecting the plant's religious beliefs or its or its skin color. It's a plant. It has no feelings. Let's just talk about marijuana. Can we do that instead? It's Friday night, and I think that that would be a more interesting topic for our listeners. If we're allowed to say that, or <laughs> yeah. cannabis. They want us to say cannabis. Cannabis, now. okay. Um, I, 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 am, I, I have a real hard time with this only because, as I say, I think we, we have to be very willing to step back when something is clearly offending somebody. I'm I'm 100%. If, if, some, if there is something that... A, a phrase or something I don't even know about, and someone says, "You know what? When you say that, that offends me because of my nationality, because of what." And I, as you say, Sandy, I didn't know. I will do my very best then no, not to say that again, corrected. because stand corrected and say it's offending you. You've identified to me that this is offending you. I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. I'll do my best not to do it again, not to let it slip out again. Whatever. But if there's no victim in this one, and it seems at this point that there's nobody who is upset except for one counselor. I've, again, I went and looked. I couldn't find the groups of Mexicans or other people who are saying, yeah, every time you say this, you offend us. And if there's no victim in this, if the people who we allegedly are insulting are not feeling insulted, I don't know that it's an issue. I don't. Maybe it is. Maybe someone will say, no, no, you should preemptively... Not say anything, but if we start preemptively not saying anything, we're going to cut an awful lot of words out of our language because of the chance that maybe, possibly, somebody could interpret that a different way and be offended. That Now you're getting into a whole... We're going to become a mute society. Well, we're already we, getting there. We're, we're, it's to the point where we're getting there, and, and I think it's it's truly ridiculous. Not a lot offends me. I don't get upset by a lot of things. You want to go after me, that's fine. I can handle that. You go after my family, my kids, my wife, my parents. That offends me. Anything else that you could say? Again, I'm just a pretty laid-back guy. Nothing really, truly, truly bothers me. And and it, it's I, I wish more people would have that kind of open mind, if you will. Um, but again, through the 
technology and being able to read and see more and watch more videos, people have become well, we have an self-defensive. We have an outraged society. We, we like to be outraged and we like to be offended. But, and sometimes it's legit, for sure. There's no question that at times it's legit. Other times, I'm with you, Mike. Other times I think, really? Like, okay, I, I, I'm sorry. If that offended you, I'm sorry. But look, look, do you really think my intent was to do that? It clearly wasn't. And we still like to fly off the handle. But anyway. Discuss among yourselves about whether marijuana slash cannabis is a word we should no longer use and whether it's offensive. I still don't know the answer to this, quite honestly, but we will either hear more about this going forward because this will now be the big talking point or this will vanish into thin air like a poof of pot (laughs) and we'll never hear about it again. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.